0: And we're off. Welcome back to the BWOMS podcast. That's BWOMS Barbed Wire Open Mic Series. We're coming to you with Episode 8, and it's going to be great. We have a special guest. In today's studio, we have Dr. Lydia French, who is a director of the CTN Peer Mentoring Program, Teaching and Learning for Student Success. She is also the manager-editor of CTN's Journal of Ideas and Pedagogy. Dr. French is a professor of English and Mexican-American Latino Studies in Houston Community College, where she served as faculty coordinator of the Dreamcatchers Puente Program, Humanities and Interdisciplinary Cultural Studies Program coordinator and director of Central Campus's Mexican-American Latino Studies Program. Lydia received her Ph.D. and M.A. degrees in English from the University of Texas at Austin, where she also completed graduate certificates in Mexican-American studies and Native American indigenous studies. Welcome to the show, Lydia. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. It's good to be here. Thanks.
0: Excellent. And so, to kick it off right away, you know, your role with CTN, which is Catch the Next, uh-huh. that's okay. brought you into El Paso and working in the studio with Power of the Past.
1: Well, I'll talk about how I got involved with Catch the Next. Yeah, Yeah, so um, I'm an English and humanities professor at Houston Community College, and I um, helped pilot the um, Dreamcatchers program there. And so through that is how I got involved with Catch the Next and kind of just blossomed into a lot of different roles there so I'm right now working as the director of the peer mentoring program it's called teaching learning for student success peer mentoring program so what we do is we take our we have scholar mentors author mentors community leadership mentors from throughout the nation that we um, try to pair with our colleges or have them you know invite them to speak at our colleges and for the students and things like that um, to kind of you know just be able to see role models um, in fields that they're interested in and, you know, who've kind of been through the same thing that they've been through. Um, so working with that, um, I host the uh, monthly webinar series that we have, and I'm here working with uh, one of our author mentors, Valentine Sandoval, on mm-hmm. um, putting together some um, promotional and pedagogical videos for Catch the Next.
0: And that's great. I received a little preview of that, helping with, with the audio. I'm looking forward to that. And actually, that's um, an aspect of pedagogy that I'm not, I'm not too familiar with. Um, so I'm curious to maybe exploring that a little further. Um, I've lately been getting involved with, with Catch the Necks in Puente as, as a professor myself at El Paso Community College and even as an author mentor. And, you know, I look forward to, to seeing the continued growth of all our communities uh, especially with within education, mm-hmm. um, okay. And so, <clears throat> these videos you've been working on—they're uh, for the purpose of promoting and kind of showcasing the kind of wor- good work being done through the program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's you know kind of a best kept secret almost. I mean. It's really interesting because at the, the founding colleges where this program has been implemented, and some of the newer colleges where it's been implemented, like we keep you know really um, rigorous data and things like that, and all of the data shows that the program works really effectively. Mm. And the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board is behind us, especially like our our institutes and things like that, like mm-hmm. our professional development that we offer for faculty and staff. And um, and so the program itself is proven to be successful, but nobody knows about it. And mm. so part of the purpose of the videos is to, you know, kind of get out there and spread the word a little bit more widely.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I think they're coming out great. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, in fact, you know, if you know anyone, you know, attending college, getting ready to attend college, look into the program because there's all sorts of great mentorships and, and opportunities to really advance in That's your right. college g- career.
1: That's right. And if you're at a college and you're working at a college and you're interested in what we're talking about, it's catchthenext.org is the website. You can go and find out more information about us and what we
0: do. Excellent. And, and if somebody, let's say somebody did want to you know, help working through the college, um, would, would they just contact you through the website?
1: Yeah, they can okay. contact me through the website. They can contact our CEO through the website. Her name is Maria Martha Chavez. And um, there's even a, yeah, a place on the website to do a little bit more research into what the program's all about and everything. Um, but the bottom line is that it's a it's a support program for student success to increase the number of community college students that transfer and earn bachelor's degrees. So
0: That's so important. Yeah. Especially because I think... Mm, community colleges, I think, in general, are kind of seen as as a step towards, maybe. And, and I don't think that's necessarily true, though, because
1: yeah.
0: uh, both of us being educated, I'm sure you treat your classes the same way. Like, we, even then, we still have to have a high standard and, and make sure that... It's true. Yeah. It's
1: hard to combat that um, stereotype about community colleges. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it comes from a lot of different angles, right? Like, you sometimes get students that are like, oh this community college class will be easier, da-da-da. Or sometimes you get, um, you know, faculty from four-year universities or something like that who have a certain perception. But, um, you know, I taught um, juniors and seniors at the University of Texas at Austin, Mm -hmm. and I've taught um, developmental students at a community college, and I have the same high expectations for both. You know what I mean?
0: And you kind of have, have to, I yeah. think, if you're truly, you know, in, indebted to c- creating a learning environment, you know, a, a conductive one.
1: That's right. To uh,
0: student success. And, you know, so maybe this would be an opportunity to talk about uh, how did you actually specifically get involved with Catch the Next?
1: How did I get involved? So I was, um, so at Houston Community College, I was the Puente, well, I started out as the Mexican-American Latino Studies Director, um, and I think that's how I got involved with, uh, Catch the Next in terms of bringing the, um, Program to Houston Community College, mm. so I was the English. Pro- I was one of the English professors for the program, and I also helped coordinate and direct and all of that. Um, like, do one of the things we do, for instance, is uh, uh, match the students with mentors from the college and community. So, recruiting the mentors and training the mentors and things like that is all part of it. And I was doing that and. Um, We take the students on field trips to four-year colleges and universities um, working on coordinating that and it was actually a really great experience because one of the things I learned is about a lot of the programs that are actually designed for transfer students and for transfer student support at the universities and they were looking for people to partner with from the community colleges you know so again it's about just getting the name out there and doing that networking.
0: Absolutely, I, I agree with that. And um, so one of the things you were you were kind of mentioning to me earlier is uh, your use of podcasts. Yes. So tell me a little bit about your experience with podcasts and using them in the classroom.
1: So I am really interested in sound and listening and listening as kind of like um, a form of understanding. And one of the things that I've written about before is about how, like, a lot of, um, you know, philosophers and things like that use vision as a metaphor Mm -hmm. for rationality. And it's this very sort of Western understanding of, like, thinking, right? That rational thought is visual. You think about the words. Start with
0: Plato's cave. The cave. It's a shadow. Also, just even,
1: like, the words we use, like, Mm -hmm. uh, imagination or you see what I mean, you know, Mm, you know, like just even like common phrases that we use. And, um, so I started thinking about the role that listening and hearing plays in understanding and cognition. And, um, what I'm interested in too, in terms of literary studies, which is my field is, um, fiction that uses, like a lot of people write about poetry and music, right? Like jazz poetry, right? right. You know, there's different kinds of. There's even you know corrido style poems, Americano Paredes, and I mean, everything. Since
0: the beginning of poetry, exactly. right, they've kind of been together. The, Some, the lyric. That's right. You know?
1: Exactly. That's right. Um, but what I was noticing was that there are certain fiction writers, like Mexican American hmm. and um, Native American Indigenous uh, fiction writers, that were incorporating. Recorded pop music into their narratives, and that's really interesting to me. Like, it's it's a way of like, you know, very much like centering it in a certain time and space. You know,
0: like makes me think of Reservation Blues and
1: Reservation Blues, Mm. and a lot of them use um, jukeboxes. You know, which is so much about like place and Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I also wrote about uh, Sandra Cisneros's Woman Hollering Creek. Lethley Marman-Silko's uh, Ceremony. I love Ceremony. Yeah, and then um, there's a Californian writer named Nina Marie Martinez. Are you familiar with her? I'm not. Caramba. A uh, tale told in terms of the card. So it's told in the structure of Loteria. And oh, um, she okay. actually has a jukebox in, a jukebox, like the songs in the book. And anyway, well, there's and, a lot about all, dance in that
0: book. And these are all things that you've included in your, your work.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, so I was interested in that and that's kind of like what I was working on in grad school and stuff. And so I also started teaching it and like music is a huge part of who who I am, Mm -hmm. like live music and things like that. And so I was really just sort of interested in the dynamic also between music and literature. Um, so I taught a, a class at UT called "The Rhetoric of Southern Rock," where wow. I would it was it was great. Um, we read um, W. B. Du Bois. We read um, a lot of the. Um, there's a lot of theorists of Southern culture, U.S. Southern mm-hmm. culture, right. and so kind of what we were thinking about is like what defines Southern because there's some really interesting artists like Little Feet which are from Los Angeles, hmm. you know, or Creedence Clearwater Revival which I'm are sure. from North Cali. Oh yeah, love them. And like but, be, but people, associate some, them, yeah, people associate them. People associate them with
0: southern rock
1: and yeah. so And nearly like, you
0: were talking about Flannery O'Connor and the Southern Flannery Gothic O'Connor, and there's I that love southern literature, you know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So there's like something that we think of as like oh, this defines Southern literature or this defines Southern music. Mm -hmm. But then when you get down to it, you're like, well, what is it? Is it something that can be copied, like Little Feet, you know, like Dixie Mm. Chicken or something like that? That's like a quintessential Southern rock song, you know, but it's by some guys from the heart of Los Angeles, Mm. you know, who were like uh, mentees of Frank Zappa, no way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little wow. feet, yeah, for sure. Little George was, yeah.
0: Well, I have a couple of friends that would love that. That little fact there. Big Zappa fans out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love Little George personally. <laughs> but
0: anyway. <laughs> nice. So we, you know, uh, I, I really like that and that course. How that course end up for you? Have you taught it again or? I, I taught it twice at UT.
1: Okay. I loved it. Um, so with the podcast, I would. Um, Basically, we had in the early part of the semester when we were trying to define, you know, what does Southern mean mm-hmm. um, and doing a lot of contextualization in terms of like uh, providing some history and things like that. The texts were more actually like, text based, and I had a, a reader, um, you know, that the class bought. But in the middle part of the class, the texts were all podcasts. Oh, okay. So I would make them and one complaint that I did get is that they were too long and then one student was like yeah especially when you don't like the music and I was like oh, oh
0: stab in the heart that's when they tell the you when, when they, they don't like the oh, readings too right like exactly. oh, and you you expect them But to it feels a little bit thing.
1: more personal when it's okay. music that you like you know true, what I mean That's true yeah. that
0: you grew up with or you that's exactly. been part of the formative years Exactly oh yes I've I've, I've been there
1: and so since then, I've tried to include like I'll have um, friends, or if I know the poet or the author mm-hmm. or something like that, if I can get them to do a reading, I'll include those in podcasts for the students. I okay. think, I think I feel like any time, especially with literature, anytime they can hear another voice, you know, something that's like outside their reading imagination. Um, that like it kind of just helps to like shape it and round it out a little
0: and bit. And I think uh one of the most important things is is to you know have them first of all understand that anything can be text. Yeah. That, that we can deconstruct That's right. and, and, That's right. and you know deconstruct you know its meaning, its inference, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the cultural aspect of it, right? Yeah. I think you you've worked a lot on that. Culture yeah, as well. I mean,
1: another thing that's really interesting, too, is I taught, since the Southern Rock class, I've taught uh, the rhetoric of sound and listening, mm. where I had students, like, really reflecting on what is listening, what is hearing, hmm. what defines those things. And um, we have a whole section on deaf culture and um, and how, you know, listening is not just allocated to your ears mm-hmm. you know it's a full body experience mm-hmm. um and that there there are forms of listening that don't have anything to do with your ear biology at all
0: <laughs> you wow. know wow that's that's interesting yeah. so mm-hmm. does that also have to do with like space then and and
1: well because sound is all vibrations yes. right yeah. and so there's yeah. there's feel there's touch there's motion there's all of that involved in it too, that's not just what we think of as sound.
0: Mm, that's that's super that's completely fascinating. I would love, love to look at some of your work on that. I'm personally such a huge fan of of jazz in particular because it yes. is an art form where the artists uh um, listen to each other. That's mm-hmm. such a it's conversational, but they're listening to motifs that they can continue on their their solo and
1: well, then you think about things that too, okay, so like one of my one of the foundational books that I consider is uh Jonathan stern's the Audible Past, and he does a a really like a a cultural materialist history of sound mm. and kind of wow. like takes yeah yeah, like takes it completely out of this realm of like the spiritual mm. or the you know. All of that and the emotional, and all of that. And he's like, let's look at the social relations that are involved in producing what we think of as like high fidelity sound, you know, mm, okay. and stuff like that. And, um, one of the, uh, a quibble I have with that, with that book though, is that mm. he talks about radio and he talks about, um, you know, like ham radios and stuff like that. And he says that it gets to a point where people start listening. Their listening gets, quote, wildly out of control. But I'm I'm super fascinated wow. with this listening that's out of control because it's what you're talking about, right? I mean, like, this is the kind of listening that incredible jazz musicians are able to accomplish, mm-hmm. you know, because they're hearing something that I'm, I'm not hearing, you know like a lot of people aren't necessarily hearing it and then they're able to anticipate it and then mm-hmm. riff on it, you know, riff on the anticipation.
0: And, and within that image of, let's say, the a jazz trio performing, you know, in, in an underground jazz club, even then I think there's still aspects of, of space or, or placement. Absolutely. Because, you know, then you're talking about the band, the listeners who have training, listening to each other, but then there's the audience, yeah. Right, who maybe doesn't have as much formal that's right. training or be able to, and so I just think if if we create a, a metaphor for that, you know, I, I imagine that's something you've considered as well in your use of texts and, and podcasts or any songs, music.
1: Yeah, you know. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the beauty of live music, right? Yeah. Which is when jazz, for instance, or any kind of improvisational music is like truly appreciated. Mm-hmm. The beauty of it is that it's not what it is without the audience, okay. you know it's There's that an authenticity Leibniz, too it's, it's that liveness, yeah yeah, of yeah. the trust
0: is. of this thing that we are creating we're kind of creating together That's it's not exactly. just us whereas in a the studio they take they have takes and they cheap it, yes, but then on the exactly. stage, you know, I think in terms of how we create meaning. It, and that very much involves the audience. Oh, it's, an,
1: it's an immediate yeah. feedback, you know? Mm. It's not like you're writing a book and then like a month later you get a bad review. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I tried this riff and it didn't work, <laughs> you know?
0: People threw bottles at exactly, me. Exactly,
1: exactly. No, 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 no. Or everybody went crazy and it mm-hmm. led to something, you know, completely different, so yeah.
0: it's right there. Yeah.
1: But you know what? And it's so interesting. There's also... Um, this um, uh, theater a theorist her name is Diana Taylor um, Mm -hmm. who has a book about the archive and the repertoire right and the archive is like writing everything that's like steady held together and Mm -hmm. the repertoire is all this liveness that like even if you record it once you record it that recording becomes part of the archive Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because it's like still that's like one it caught one moment from one position Um, But the repertoire is, if you're there Mm -hmm. and you saw, you know, like, just all the individual elements of being there Mm -hmm. are part of the repertoire. And her point is that those also get passed on culturally Mm -hmm. and generationally and everything in our habitus, right? Like what we consider sort of normal in terms of our activities and stuff
0: okay all right I, I see that um and and looking at through the lens of theater is, is also interesting yeah and yeah.
1: uh,
0: in some of my work on in improvisation um there's a i think one name that i always come across is keith sawyer and he talks about the the collective improvisation you know and that's i just think that's true of everyday life too when we it's talk true. if you're talking about listening that's very much an active engagement of the conversation um you know it, it requires and, and and conversation is so improvisatory yeah you know yeah you know we don't plan it is conversations well, for the day. yeah i do but do you you knew you knew we'd be having this conversation no no no, no i just it's
1: just that i think in conversations like okay. i think i think in yeah. dialogue you know what i mean it never goes the way i think it's gonna go but
0: i see yes yeah. okay There's certainly a sense of maybe anticipating scripts.
1: Right. Scripting. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so maybe to go back to the podcasting, you mentioned how one criticism was students thought it was too long. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the perfect length? Under 10 minutes. Under 10 minutes. Like eight
1: minutes, Okay,
0: and this is in an educational context? Context or anything
1: for sure in an educational context. What I would I would include in that any kind of like adult education, right? Right. So including like workshops and stuff like that.
0: And that also has to do with the fact that just I think uh, fifteen minute increments are kind of as long as most people's attention spans will will gather. Mm -hmm. So you have to either shift. Fifteen might be at the high end. Yeah. Yeah, probably that's true. Like more more recently, maybe not Mm -hmm. as much. I've I've noticed.
1: Well, really cool smartphones <laughs>
0: uh, how do you <laughs> so i'm curious about your teaching too you know um you know i know you in this context of, of working on on catch the next stuff but you know as a teacher you know how are you how how would you say your classes go
1: um you know it's interesting i when i started out i was like hey i'm your buddy uh, da 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 you know but I do have really high expectations for my students, and so then it became like they thought I was going to be all buddy buddy with mm-hmm. them and be, you know, an easy teacher. But then I had like I was really rigorous in my in terms of my grading and feedback mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so I've shifted a bit to be um, more, a little bit more hardcore
0: to start off with. You kind of have to be. You have to put up a front.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Oh. Otherwise, because I think especially when you first start out, I think everyone starts out, you know, I think they're initially young. And there's just, like, the idea that students kind of want to be friendly, you know? Like, yeah. oh, they're like me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've experienced that, and they want to be your friends. And it's hard, and like, not to, but... Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm learning is definitely you have to put your foot down as far as... Exactly. This is how it has to be. professional. All of my like,
1: favorite teachers have been ones that I've initially thought like sitting in the classroom thought, Oh, this is going to be bad. Or like, Oh, she hates me or, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then I, you know, a year later, I'm writing them a letter of recommendation because they were like the best teacher I ever had, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I, I'm not that teacher yet <laughs> but i want to be you know what i mean
0: there's always a, a natural evolution yeah. to these things great and so um how tell me about maybe one or two of your most rewarding teaching experiences i just you know i'm i'm always willing to listen and learn
1: hmm i think that um well one of my most rewarding has been A student, um, she's an adult returning student, Mm -hmm. and um, she's uh, from Mexico. She's from Monterrey, but she's lived in Houston for like eight years. And um, she went through the whole English as a second language sequence, but she still didn't feel confident. And so she wanted to get into actually the Dreamcatchers program class, which starts out at a developmental level. Um, And she tried to take that level and wasn't able to initially. And so then she um, just sort of came under my wing and I mentored her for like six months. And she helped me do stuff with the Dreamcatchers Club at the school and um, like helped me make flyers and just different things like that and got involved then. And then um, eventually she was able to take the Dreamcatcher's classes. She was amazing. Um, Finished out the semester. The students do a writing portfolio, and they present on it. She did this whole Star Wars-themed presentation where she was, like, her family. She was Leia, and her husband was Han, and they had, you know. Anyways, um, I guess they had Kylo Ren. If I think about it now, but anyways, it was, it was old school and I was Yoda.
0: Okay. And so (laughs) did you love that? that I loved
1: it. Jedi master. Of course. Yes. (laughs) So, um, and then she took, um, the second semester of composition with me, which is totally different. Mm -hmm. A lot of students aren't prepared for it. Even coming, even like they finish the first semester of composition. They're like, yeah, I got this. It's totally different. And so she took that with me, and then it's great now. um, I've mentored her all this time, and um, her husband is a friend and colleague of mine. And We both teach Mexican-American studies, and so we kind of work together on that. And, you know, like, I just went out to lunch with them the other day, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're talking now about, like, messaging and having regular calls so she can practice her English, you know, mm. and stuff like that, and that, just, like, developing those one-on-one, one-on-one relationships.
0: And that's, that's, that's so great, yeah, so, in, in many ways, so you could probably think of several types of stories, like, that. I, those yeah. the development of one-on-one stories. Where, For sure. Um, cool, and so, maybe this is that going too far, I don't know, back, but, like, what initially got you into education?
1: Hmm. I've always wanted to be an academic. Okay. And you love school. I love school. Right. I'm a huge nerd. And um when I first graduated from high school, I was super big into physics. I was reading a lot of Carl Sagan and Love Sagan. Love Sagan. And I was like, I'm going to be a physics major. And I ended up getting accepted into this program at Boston University where you could kind of like design your own major. Oh, wow. And so mine was physics and philosophy. And so I was like taking all these philosophy classes. I was taking all these physics classes. I loved it. I was good, like pretty good at math. And I got up to multivariate calculus, loved multivariate calculus. And um, then I got to differential equations and like there was just a block. Yeah. I couldn't do it. And I was looking around it. And I knew I wanted to be an academic and I was looking around at all my physics professors and they were like running labs, you know, their own labs right. and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm never going to do this. I love the theoretical aspect mm-hmm. of all of it. But I was like, this is never going to work out. So yeah. I took a couple years off and did tables and then I was always really good at English and so went back to school and ended up getting my degree in English and history
0: and your your graduate degrees and so on mm-hmm, cool. exactly I, I'm yeah. very interested in your work on on sound and, and listening um that's something I I'm still trying to like pick up on myself as a scholar mm-hmm. so quote-unquote you know I, life has gone in the way but initially that's what i'm interested in there's well. a lot of
1: really interesting work going on in in yeah. sound studies especially like race and sound studies and stuff mm. like that
0: and in particular uh even even like one step another another like dimension to it you know i've been focusing on breath breathing you know the act of breathing because then, even then breathing is you know philosophically physiologically contains multitudes you know there's creation stories that come out of breathing of course yeah and breath is creation and breath is life it's inspiration mm-hmm. it's a
1: spirit yeah
0: mm-hmm. so you know I'm, I'm interested in, in, in reading you know your your work and even just maybe even referencing you know I, I, I too like to dive into readings and theories and, and and books and and uh there's something very to me meaningful about like that discovery and like working it out for yourself in your head
1: yeah yeah and see
0: where you get from that so i'm looking forward to that i'm definitely gonna check out the books that you recommended um anyway so check out catch the next guys um i don't think we need to, you know do you, do you have anything that you want to talk about
1: no, I mean I think we've covered a lot already. We'll we'll do part two, Nick. We'll do part two.
0: And that's I, I always say that on the podcast, like, yeah, we could talk about so much. But, you know, really if you've never heard of Catch the Next, check them out online, catchthenext.org. .org. Uh-huh. And um, you know, if you're interested in being a mentor or participating or even as a student, you know, being being involved in the classes. Um we want you guys to succeed, really, when it comes down to it. And that's that's what we want. So come check it out. Um, thank you, Lydia French, for being on the show. Thank you. Right. I don't know why I have, say, I have to say your name. Like the whole name is cool. You know? <laughs> so, all right, guys, that's it for episode eight of the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're a first time listener, please subscribe. Give us a review. Let us know what you thought. Um, you know, give us suggestions of how we can continue to improve the show. Um, my name is Rich. I'm your host, and that's it for today's show. Peace.